Sorry to disappoint. Dave is enjoying his new grandson. And you get me instead. Hi. Uh, before we open up God's Word, I'm going to pray, but what I'd like to do is we want to make disciples. So I'm going to pray for you the Lord's Prayer, but I want you to see that it can be prayed as is, and it's also a great pattern. So when you're teaching someone else how to pray, you can teach them just like this. Let's pray. Our Father who is in heaven, good morning, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are that Father we always wanted. Jesus, you are that big brother that we always wanted. Uh, Holy Spirit, welcome in this place. Hallowed be your name. Uh, we pray that your name would be treated as holy in our worship today and in our lives this week. Your kingdom come. King Jesus, have your way in our lives. Help us to spread the gospel of the kingdom. King Jesus, we look forward to that day when you come back and your kingdom is here in all of its fullness. Give us this day our daily bread. Meet our needs as individuals and as a church. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know our sins. Lord, forgive us and help us to be forgiving. And Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from our flesh, of thinking we're wiser than you. Deliver us from the world always trying to squeeze us into its mold. Deliver us from the evil one. Lord, as we open your word today, Holy Spirit, fall fresh. Win the lost and build believers and equip workers and multiply disciple makers. Lord, we're praying for revival. Will you not yourself revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> there was a pastor and he was way more loving than I am. And he told his congregation, he said, whatever you need, whatever you need, um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just give me a call and I'm here to serve you. So one morning, one morning at three o'clock in the morning, his phone rings. And he answers it, and it's a lady, a member of his church, and, uh, and uh, she says, remember? Remember you said we could call you any time, day or night, you said you would help, remember that? And the pastor says, yeah, I remember that, but it's three o'clock in the morning, what can I do at three o'clock in the morning? And she says, well, I'm having trouble sleeping, and I thought you might stop by my house and preach one of your sermons to me. And that just might work, okay? Now listen, I, I'm praying this morning I don't put you to sleep, okay? But, but we are going to learn about worship today. We're going to learn about worship. And, and what we're going to learn about today, the point of today's message is that Jesus is the one true worshiper. That if we wanted to know what worship, what our lives would look like if we were worshipers, we can look at Jesus and see he's the one true worshiper. Now, as we talk about worship, it kind of raises the question, what is worship? So I'd like for you to know that, that at our church we have a definition for worship, and, and our definition for worship is this, that worship is our loving response to God's revelation of Himself and, and creation and His Word and in Jesus Christ. God has revealed Himself to us, and sometimes people equate worship with singing. Well, singing is a form of worship, but so is praying and giving and listening to God's word. Worship is our loving response to God's revelation of himself in creation, in his word, and in Jesus Christ. 
Um, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Malachi, the last book in the Older Testament. I love to call it the Older Testament. You know why? Because it's not old. It's just what it's older. And uh, um, turn to Malachi. And if you don't have a Bible, it's a great idea to bring one. Last week, we started our study of Malachi. And the reason we're doing that, the theme of this book is that everyone needs Jesus. The one thing we all have in common in here is we all need Jesus. And if you're new and you'd like to know Jesus, every week we gather, we open up his word, and we come and see Jesus together, and we'd love to have you with us. And if you're a regular here, you know what we're praying as we go through Malachi, that you would know Jesus. Don't you want to? That you would love him, that you would follow him, okay? Now, last week, Dave began the study of Malachi, and he taught us, he, he taught us that the book of Malachi, the outline of Malachi is there are six arguments, six arguments, and <laughs> these arguments are not like husbands and wives fighting, okay? The arguments, the arguments are like a legal argument, and we learned last week that uh, six different times, it starts with a statement, God makes a statement, that's the first step. And then the second step is the people object. They say, how? And then the third step is God presents his case. Remember last week? The book starts on a real positive note. God says, I have loved you. That was the opening statement, right? I have loved you. And then the people objected. Listen, how have you loved us? Life isn't as swell as we thought it would be. How have you loved us? And remember what God said? I've chosen you. Out of all the people on the earth, I've chosen Jacob to bless you and make you a blessing. So the first statement was, I have loved you. Today, you know what he's going to say? He's going to talk about half-hearted worship. Um, are, are you ever half-hearted in your worship? Or, or when you worship God, do you give him your best? So in Malachi 1 verse 6, a son honors his father and a servant is master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you. So here's the statement. Your worship is half-hearted. I mean, fathers are honored and masters are respected, but you don't honor or respect me. You're half-hearted. Oh, priest, you despise my name. They despised his name. But, and here's the second part. They object. But you say, how have we despised your name? I mean, how have we been half-hearted in worship? How have we despised your name? You are presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. Oh, it's so boring to worship the Lord. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and, uh, <clears throat> and sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? <laughs> I love that, right? I mean, the people thought they were doing God a favor and offering these blind and lame. He says, listen, give it to your governor. See, see what your governor thinks about it. Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Now, in the Older Testament, a very important part of worship was offering sacrifices. The people would bring animals. 
And, and the purpose of all the animal sacrifices was to preach the gospel to the people. First of all, the animal sacrifices taught the people that all of us are sinners. The animal sacrifices taught people that the penalty for sin is death. The animal sacrifices taught the people that what we needed was someone who was blameless to die in our place. That's why they would offer animals without blemish. And because they were repeated over and over again, they pointed to Jesus saying, the blood of animals will never take away our sins. We need a Savior who would die for us. God had so clearly said, bring animals that are unblemished. In Leviticus chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 2, speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd of the flock. If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a, what, a male without defect. So the people were instructed as they were bringing a sacrifice to bring a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting that he may be accepted before the Lord. Bring an animal without blemish. Same chapter, verse 10. But if the offering is from the flock of the sheep or the goats for a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without defect. Bring an animal without defect. A little bit later in Deuteronomy 17, verse 1. You shall not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep uh, which has a blemish or any defect, for that is a detestable thing to the Lord your God. So the people were doing exactly what God told them not to do. They were bringing blemished and defective animals for a sacrifice. Continuing in Malachi, but now will you entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us with such an offering on your part? Will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. For from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God cares about his name, doesn't he? In the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment is what don't take God's name in vain. When I prayed for you the Lord's Prayer, one of the requests is what? Hallowed be your name. God wanted his people among all the nations of the earth, exalting his name among the nations. But instead of exalting his name, they were half-hearted in worship and they were profaning his name. But you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. As for its fruit, um, and as for its fruit, the food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is, and disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. They brought their sacrifices. Oh, oh, this is so boring. Do you know how many times I've heard people say, do I have to go to church? Do, do, do I have to read the Bible? Do, do I have to give? 
Do we disdainfully sniff at worshiping God? And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering? Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Now, uh, God is is charging both the people and the priest, and especially the priest. So perhaps this is what was happening. Perhaps some of the people were bringing unblemished animals, and the priest would receive the unblemished animal but keep it for themselves and then sacrifice a blemished animal. Or perhaps, or perhaps the people were bringing blemished animals, and the priest would accept them even though they knew God's word said they were to give animals without blemish. So, as we read through this story, what I want us to see is they failed in their worship, and, 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 and we often fail in our worship, right? And that's why the, the point of today's message is that Jesus is the one true worshiper. Jesus is the one true worshiper. And what I want you to see in that, first of all, is that God is a great God, and He deserves our worship, and He deserves our best. Did you pick that up in verse 6? A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? Do we honor God in our worship? Do we give him our best? And if, a, if I'm a master, where is my respect? Do we respect our God? Now notice, says the Lord of hosts, if your Bible is like my Bible and you see Lord in capital letters, uh, it's important to understand that uh, God, Moses asked God his name. Remember, he said, my name is Yahweh. I am who I am. So the Jewish people were so afraid of taking God's name in vain that whenever they would see Yahweh, they would say, Lord. And so it's saying, says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Um, the, of hosts means that our God is a great God and he has an army of thousands and thousands and thousands of angels who do what God wants them to do. And that God is way more powerful than any nation on earth. He's the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts also has it in the, the idea that he's the host of all the stars in the heaven. He, he placed all the stars in the sky and he knows them all by name. Seven times, seven times in nine verses, God tells us how great he is. Verse six, the Lord of hosts. Verse seven says the Lord of hosts. Verse 9 says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10 says the Lord of hosts. Verse 11 says the Lord of hosts. Verse 12 says the Lord of hosts. Verse 13 or 14 says, verse 14 says the Lord of hosts. God is a great God who deserves our worship and he deserves our best. Um, the second point I'd like for, to make here is that Jesus is the one true worshiper. He's the one true worshiper. None of us, none of us have worshipped God as we ought, have we? That, that's the bad news of the gospel. Do you see that in verse 6? A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? Haven't we all failed to honor God as we ought? 
And if I am a master, where is my respect? Says, Isn't that true that all of us have not respected God and, and given him the worship and obedience that he deserves? Isn't it true? Oh, and in the book of Romans, in, in Romans chapter 1, um, in Romans chapter 1, we read <clears throat> in verse 21, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. That God has so clearly revealed himself to us in creation and in our conscience that all of us in our heart of hearts know there's a God. We know we ought to honor him and thank him, but we have not. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. Isn't that true of all of us? That we've not honored God as he deserves nor thanked him? But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Doesn't that describe our culture? Professing to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, because we don't worship God above all else, because we don't honor Him and give Him thanks. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their flesh to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Isn't that true of our culture, that we have rejected the Creator and choose to worship the creature instead? Because we don't worship God and honor Him or give Him thanks. Listen, God gives us over and we all sin against God over and over and over again. And God is just and what we deserve for what we've done is hell. That's the bad news of the gospel. But the good news is Jesus is the one true worshiper. There is someone who honored God. There's someone who thanked Him. There's someone who obeyed Him. And His name is Jesus. Jesus is God the Son who who became a man and lived a perfect life for us. Oh. And you know, when it came to worship, when it came to a sacrifice, do you know he gave the best? He gave himself. In John chapter 1, in John chapter 1, remember when John the Baptist saw Jesus in John 1 verse 29? The next day he saw Jesus coming and said to him, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When John saw Jesus, here's the lamb, all those lambs, and the all, here's the one they all pointed to. Here's the lamb of God, the unblemished lamb who takes away the sin of the world. In John chapter 10, verse 18, no one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. How often have we said, do I have to? Do you know Jesus didn't have to? Do you know when they came to arrest him, he could have called down angels and delivered himself, but he laid down his life for you and me. He loved his father and he loved you and me. And he laid down his life on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my father. Or how about, how about in 1 Peter, the idea of Jesus being the one true worshiper? Listen, 
1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood. But with precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. Do you know how much Jesus loves us enough to stretch out his hands on a cross and say, I love you this much? And so he took our sins upon himself. He died in our place once and for all. But you know what? He didn't stay dead. He rose from the grave. And Jesus offers us eternal life. Jesus rising from the grave proves he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us eternal life. He offers us the forgiveness for all of our sins. He offers to move into us and live his life in and through us so that we could enjoy doing life and eternity with Jesus. And what does it require of us? That we believe in him, right? Oh, Listen to this in John 1 verse 12. Jesus says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. The Bible says that when we believe in Jesus, when we receive him as our Savior and Lord, he forgives us, he moves into us, he lives his life in and through us, and we get to do life and eternity with him. Listen, have you believed in him? Have you received him? If you haven't, won't you? Uh, it, It really is rather simple to believe in Christ. It's as simple as A, B, C, where we admit and believe and commit. And if you've never done that, man, you can do that now. I'd be glad to help you when we close in prayer. But there was a day in my life where I admitted, Jesus, I've not honored you. I've not thanked you. I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And if you've never done that, won't you? And then I said, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and rose, won't you? And then I committed to Jesus as Savior and Lord. Jesus, come in and forgive me and give me eternal life. And he did. And I want you to be Lord of my life and, and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, won't you do that? Won't you admit and believe and commit? And if you have, do you hear what Jesus says? But as many, or the Bible says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You now have eternal life. You've been forgiven. Jesus has moved into you and you get to do life and eternity with him. So what we've learned is that our God is a, is a great God who deserves our best. He deserves our worship. But Jesus, Jesus is the only, the only true worshiper. And uh, the third point I want you to understand about this is that everyone needs Jesus to become a worshiper. Everyone needs Jesus. I want you to understand grace. A lot of people think grace is, is nobody lives up to the standard, so God lowers the standard. That's not grace. You know what grace is? That Jesus forgives us for all of our sins. He forgives us for our half-hearted worship. And then Jesus moves inside of us and he lifts us to the standard. Jesus wants to lift us so that we become true worshipers like he does. When Jesus moves into us, he says, what, follow me, right? And Jesus becomes our model for life and ministry. Huh. To help us in that, Jesus gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit so that we have the desire and the power to follow Jesus and become like worshipers like he is. One of the ways I knew I became a Christian is when Jesus moved in for the first time in my life, I wanted to go to church. I wanted to sing. I wanted to hear his word, don't you? I still do. Because you know what I saw? When I saw Jesus... 
that worship was very important in the life of Jesus. Did you know that? And worship is very important in the life of a Christian, of a disciple. And when I look at Jesus, I see that corporate worship, that is public worship and and private worship, they're both really important in his life and in ours. I mean, come on with Jesus. He's born, right? And he starts his many... his ministry at 30, and in between, in between his early years and 30, how many stories do we have about Jesus? How many? Just one, right? Just one story. He's 12 years old. His mother and father, his mother and father take Jesus and his brothers and sisters to to Jerusalem for the Passover rite, and then they leave, and a day and a half later, they figure out they've lost him. You ever think about that? You've been entrusted with the Savior of the world. And what you do, you, you lost him. You lost him, right? So, so they go back to Jerusalem. He's 12 years old. And where do they find him? In the temple. Why? Because worship is important in his life. In Luke 2, verse 40, when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, Why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been uh, anxiously looking for you. And he said to them, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Didn't you know where I was? Don't you know how much I love my father? Don't you know how much I love God's word? I love being here. But they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. Then the next 18 years, we don't read about, right? The next 18 years, we don't read about. Jesus is baptized, and and then he goes out into the desert, and then he starts his public ministry. How important is corporate worship in Jesus' life? And in Luke chapter 4, and Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Do you notice how Jesus walks in the Spirit just like we can? He models for us how. And... and, um, and news about him spread through all the surrounding district. And he began teaching in their synagogue and was praised by all. Every Sabbath, you know where Jesus was? He was in the synagogue. Why? Because that's where God is worshipped. Why? That's where God's word is. Notice the next verse. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and as was his custom. Jesus had a pattern in his life that on the Sabbath, he was in the synagogue. Why? Because that's where God's word was proclaimed and taught. He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is our model for life and ministry. And when you study the life of Jesus, you find that on the Sabbath, he's in the synagogue worshiping God, reading and teaching his scriptures. But I want you to see not only was corporate worship important in the life of Jesus, but so was personal worship. He he loved to be alone with the Father and the Spirit. 
In, in Mark, in, in Mark's gospel, I love this verse. It's so good, Mark 1.35. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. If you study the life of Jesus, once day came, there were people around him all the time, right? And it was crazy. Oh, but he loved to be with his Father, do we? He loved to be with the Spirit, do we? In the early morning, do we get up early? While it was still dark, before anyone else does, because we so treasure that time. Jesus got up and left the house. He had a place, right? And went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Oh. Jesus loved that time alone with the Father and the Spirit. But I want you to know that Jesus understood worship and all of life for him. All of life for, for him was, was one of worship. In John 8, this is so good. In John 8, verse 25, uh, or verse 29, and he who sent me is with me. Man, I get to do life with the Father. I get to do life with the Spirit. He has not left me alone. Notice this, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus' entire life was a loving response to his Father. He did his whole life in obedience. So what I want us to learn today is that, that Jesus is the one true worshiper, that our God is a great God who deserves our worship and our best. But Jesus is the only true worshiper, and, and everyone needs Jesus. We need Jesus in our lives to forgive us for our half-hearted worship, but we need Jesus to lift us up, right? To lift us up. We need Him as our model saying, follow me, so that we see the importance of corporate and personal worship. So, so now we're ready to, to turn from uh, learning, and, and I want to give you an action step. And, and the action step is that I want you this week to present Him our bodies, to present Jesus, our bodies, as a living and holy sacrifice. And some of you know your Bible, and you know that comes right from the Bible, right? In Romans chapter 12, in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Therefore, for 11 chapters, for 11 chapters, it's been all gospel, all gospel, all that God has done for us. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I'm so thankful we live in the Newer Testament because if we lived in the Older Testament, you know what we'd be doing here today? We'd take animals and we'd kill them. There'd be blood everywhere. But the Newer Testament says what Jesus shed is blood once and for all. And there's no more need for the shedding of blood. But did you know there are New Testament sacrifices? There are New Testament sacrifices, but they are bloodless. And one of them is we present to Him our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Uh, three things about our body. Do you know our bodies were made by Jesus and for Him? Do you know we've been made by Him and for Him? Isn't that cool? Second, you know what else? Our bodies belong to Him. Did you know that? The Bible says you've been bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. You know what else is true? Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And so, as New Testament worshipers, we present to Him our body. Lord, here are my feet. 
Help me to follow you today and help me to take you wherever I go. And Lord, here are my hands. May I serve others the way you've served me. And Lord, here are my eyes. When I see your creation, help me to worship you. And when I see others, help me to see them the way you see them. Lord, here are my ears. Help me to listen to you. Help me today when, I, when others are talking to listen to them. Lord, here's my mouth. May I use my mouth to sing your praises and to share the gospel with others. This week, we're going to present to him our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. Do you know that starts on Sunday? It starts on Sunday. You're off to a great start. You really, you know why we come to worship? You know why? Because we're needy and needed. We need worship, and, and the worship needs us. If we're not here, there's a part of the body that's missing. And, and because we follow Jesus, it's important we come early. You know why? Because I can't believe we get to worship Jesus together. Once a week, I get to see my brothers and sisters. You know why we come early? Because sometimes someone new comes. And if you're not here, they won't be welcomed. Don't you remember what Jesus said? He said what? I was a stranger and you invited me in. We come early so that when Jesus sees us, we're here way early because we're so thankful for what he's done for us and we want to participate. And when the service starts, we sing. You ever wonder why we sing? Let me share with you. In Ephesians chapter 5, <clears throat> verse 18, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So what do you think happens? What do you think the Bible would say happens when people are filled with the Spirit? Notice what it says, the first things, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You know why we're here early? Because our Christian brothers and sisters have had a hard week. And we come to sing to them. We come to sing to them. We come to sing to them to encourage them. And they encourage us. That's why we sing. Did you notice before we sing to God, did you notice the first thing that happens when people are filled with the Holy Spirit is they sing to one another. That's why we gather together. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Then notice, now we, we go up, right? Singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Do you know why we sing? Because sometimes words alone don't express our gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so we sing to let Jesus know how thankful we are for who he is and what he's done for us. Do you know why else we sing? To take God's word and put it in our heart so that all week long when we're happy, we have songs to sing. And when we're sad, we have songs. We have scripture inside of us. Um, <clears throat> and so we sing. Listen, <clears throat> uh, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, and we pray in a worship service and, 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 and we, we bring gifts we give. And I know more and more of you are giving online. Thank you. But, but part of a worship service is giving gifts. And it's that time to say, Jesus, you've been so generous to us and we're glad that we get to give to you. 
always being subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And so we come to hear God's Word and to listen to God's Word and to submit. So Sunday morning comes, and so we give Him, Lord, here's our feet. I want to go to worship. Lord, here's my hands. Help me to welcome people. Here are my eyes. Help me to see my brothers and sisters. Lord, here's my ears. Help me to listen. Lord, here's my voice. Help me to sing and to welcome. It starts on Sunday, but it goes all week long, right? Oh, Remember how Jesus got up and started his day with the Lord? Jesus invites us to, to, to meet with him privately in personal worship. And I do that every morning. Every morning I get up and I have breakfast with Jesus. I mean, can you believe Jesus invites me to breakfast? If Jesus invited you to breakfast, wouldn't you be there? And when I see him, I gladly give him my feet. Lord, I want to follow you today. I give him my hands. Lord, help me to serve others the way you serve me. Lord, here are my eyes. Help me to see your creation. Help me to see people the way you do. Lord, here's my ears. Help me to listen to you and to listen to others. Lord, here's my voice. Open up doors for me to share you with others today. And you know what's so cool about being a Christian? This is so cool. The one we worship on Sunday is the one we work for on Monday. He's the one we go to school. There's no dichotomy in the Christian life. Where we live and where we work and where we play, no matter what we do this week, we have an opportunity to present to Him our bodies. Here's my feet. Here's my hands. Here's my eyes. Here's my ears. Here's my lips. Oh. We have an opportunity to exalt the name of Jesus in our community this week. You know how? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for laying down your life for us. Thank you. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you. And thank you for offering us eternal life. And listen, if you've never received this gift, don't wait. One day it'll be too late. Jesus is here. Won't you tell him, Jesus, I've sinned against you and I'm sorry. I, I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life and help me be the person you want me to be. Oh, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark that on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, I want to thank you for all of us who know you. Thanks for moving in. Thank you for forgiving us for our half-hearted worship. Lord, we pray that you would lift us by the power of your Spirit. You would lift us to the standard. Lord, may we treasure corporate and private worship the way you do. And Lord, this week, may we present our bodies to you as a living and holy sacrifice where we live and work and play, giving you our feet and our hands and our eyes and our ears in our voices. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.